0: I think I unplugged the coffee maker this morning. I think I shut the garage door before I left. I think my car out on Richland Ave right now is locked. Ultimately, those are pretty low-stakes things, aren't they? The coffee maker is likely not going to burn down the house. I don't have anything valuable in my car. And my neighborhood is pretty safe. I think... I think the roof on the house can go another year without getting fixed and it probably won't collapse. The stakes are starting to rise a little bit. That's, that's probably not one that you want to say I think about. I think I put the baby in the car before I left the restaurant. <laughs> I, think, I think I remember our anniversary this year. These are some of the highest stakes I think. Possible, and they are ones that you would almost certainly say, Pastor, there is no way that you should be saying, I think about that. You should be able to say, I know. As we talk about our Reformation today, we're going to talk about one question. If you are called before the Lord of glory, and somebody says, You know what, when you stand before Him, is your relationship going to be in its right place? What a scary thing it is to say, well, I think those stakes are way too high. Way too high to say, I think. No, brothers and sisters, we want to say, I know. And based on what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 19 through 28, we can say, I know. This was the biggest problem that Martin Luther had at the time of the Reformation. He had a church in front of him that all they were saying over and over again was, I think, I think, I think. As far as you're standing with God, you thought that maybe you had done enough. But the reality is that was not going to bring comfort, that was not going to bring peace, because while you might say, I think, well, that's a pretty bold proposition when we're talking about our eternity. Hear from Paul in Romans chapter 3 why we don't need to say, I think. And let's start turning some of these I thinks into I know. Paul writes, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Have you ever caught somebody in a lie? Maybe as if you're looking at me and you're a parent of, of a kid that's older than the age of like four, you nod and you go, yes, I've done that many, 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 many times. You catch somebody in, in a lie, some, some dishonesty that they're trying to slip by you and, and you kind of poke holes in it, you prod at it and, and they might start talking about a mile a minute and they, they're, they're trying to get out all of their excuses, all of the reasons why they did this and at a certain point when they're ha- held dead to rights, what happens? They get quieter, mouths shut and they just listen. That is what every single human being faces before the Lord God. Before this holy and perfect God, if we try to bring him excuses and all of these reasons why we acted the way that we acted, we know based on what Romans says that we are going to get there. We might be able to try to to rattle off a bunch of things, but ultimately we are going to stand face to face before him. And as according to, to the works of the law, what we have done for him, what we have done to him, we're going to find ourselves with our mouths tied completely shut and not able to utter another word, not another word of excuse, not another reason why we did it, but that we'll just stand silently before God. And it's all because of this, this one little phrase in there. It says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the work, works of the law. Essentially what he's saying is go on, keep the Ten Commandments. Do all you can to keep the Ten Commandments. But, but if at the end of the day you think that that is the way that you are going to wind up in heaven, that, that that's going to fix the relationship that, that we've broken between us and God, then, then we've got another thing coming to us. That all those Ten Commandments are going to do as we, as we put that list right next to our lives is go, yeah, I haven't done that, I, I haven't done that, and I, I certainly haven't done that one perfectly. These first passages... Turn one I think into I know. Instead of saying, I think I'm good enough to stand before the Lord, we get to boldly say, I know I am not good enough based on what I've done to stand before the Lord and glory in the things that I have done for him. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Apart from the law, apart from what God has told you to do, He has made his righteousness known to you. And as he uses the law that that first time here, he's not talking about necessarily the commands now. He's talking about the the Torah. He's talking about those first five books of the Bible where those infant promises and prophecies about Jesus begin. Where he says, I'm going to be a loving God and I'm going to be a faithful God. And, And now he's saying, it is being completely revealed in Christ and is given to you by faith. Imagine that, the entirety of the Old Testament, the whole scriptures, pointing to one thing, and that is the righteousness of God being revealed in Christ. And as that righteousness is revealed, we learn two things. One, that we receive it through faith, and we receive it by grace. Two tenets of the Reformation, by faith alone and by grace alone. We know that we receive this gift of faith by which we receive God's God's forgiveness and his loving mercy. And we know that the thing that caused that, that, that faith or that loving mercy is his gracious love that he lavishes on us. And so faith and grace, yes, those two also answer a question, answer those questions. We don't have to say, I think my faith is strong enough. Dear brothers and sisters, it's a gift from God, I promise you. If God has given you faith, it is plenty strong to accomplish whatever, whatever he wants to, desi- to, to accomplish in your life. And as far as the grace of God goes, we don't have to say, I think the grace of God covers me. I think his atoning sacrifice was good enough to cover my sins. I think he has blotted out every sin from his eyes. We don't have to say any of that stuff. We get to say, I know I know that his grace covers me. I know that his love for me is relentless. And that's found in this next set, section of verses. Listen very closely to these ones. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left sin, the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did not, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I know what you're thinking. Okay, Paul, how about you break that up into a few more sentences and make that one a little bit a little bit clearer? But what he's saying here is for a long time it seemed like God was leaving sin unpunished. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you see the people of Israel ping-ponging back and forth between faithfulness to God and unfaithfulness to God, between service and rebellion, and you see it go back and forth. And you go, you know what, God, it feels like you never, you never seem to really punish them. It seems like people don't really get what they deserve. You see even the, the, the sins in the lives of the people that are faithful to God, and you go, God, it doesn't really seem like you're punishing sin. It seems like you're letting a lot of stuff off the hook. And for a long time, he was saying, yes. Yes, it might seem like that, but that's because I am storing up my wrath for one person. I'm storing up punishments for one person, and that was his son. He stored up his wrath and his punishment. And he spilled the blood of the lamb. That way, you and I's blood wouldn't have to be spilled. That way, when, when we came before God and our mouths got shut and we, we had no excuses before him, God wouldn't say, look, if you don't have any good excuses, then, then, then be gone with you. But instead, he says, no. A sacrifice has already been made for you. And we learn that he did it for two reasons. And they're they're written in our scriptures for today. He did it so as to be just. He punished Jesus so that he could be a righteous and holy God. So that we could look at him and know for absolute 100% certainty He, he punishes sin. He just doesn't punish us for our sin. He took it out on his holy And his perfect son. And that leads to the other reason that he did it. To be the one who justifies. That was the purpose. So that the blood of Christ could be a substitute for yours. So that the blood of Christ could be a substitute for your works. So that everything that, that you did was not the means for salvation because we know that was never going to be good enough. He, he spilled the blood of his son and, and he poured it out lavishly for you because he said, your works aren't good enough, but my son's blood, that, that is plenty to pay the price of your sins. That is pe- plenty to pay your entryway into heaven. Dear brothers and sisters, that is what we lean on. That is what we hope in. And that is what we are certain of, is that blood that Jesus spilled for us that says, you you don't have one sin left to be held accountable for. And so instead of saying, I think my Lord's sacrifice was strong enough for even me, we get to say, I know there is nothing more powerful than the blood of the Savior who took on flesh who died as true God and man and who did so out of deep and abiding love for me. I know that that is all I need for my salvation. And that is the reason why Paul can gladly write these last couple of verses. So where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires work. No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is why we can boast. Not in the things we do for one another, not not in our acts of service in this life. We are able to boast in nothing other than the blood of Christ. And and dear brothers and sisters, where else would we want to boast? In Jesus' blood, we get to boast about something that is perfect. Something that nobody is able to to hold up their finger and say, eh, but, no, when we boast in the blood of Jesus, we are boasting in something that is, is flawless, spotless, and that is yours. And this right here, dear brothers and sisters, is why Martin Luther was really struggling. He he looked at his church and he saw a lot of I thinks. I think I've given enough money. I think I've been good enough. I think my God is loving. I think the Word of God stands forever. I think that the person that sits at the top of our churches is is saying the right things on behalf of God. There were a lot of I thinks in his life and, and he wasn't so sure about that. And that's why he dug into the scriptures. It's why he read things like Romans and Galatians. Because he wanted to change those I thinks to I knows. Because the I thinks were just never ever going to be good enough for him. Dear brothers and sisters, that is what the Reformation is built upon. It is built upon certainty. Being able to say that there are certain things that we know about ourselves, certain things we know about God, and certain things we know about our eternity with God that we can say without a doubt are true. I often caution people. When you're dealing with other teachers, when you're dealing with maybe other other churches, it's easy to sort of fall into this, this idea that everybody's kind of doing the same thing, everybody's teaching exactly the same. But that's not often and not always true. There are others that would say, you've got to be good enough for God. We teach that God was good enough for you. There are, others, there are others that teach that, that if you find like you're, you're failing in your faith, that you've just got to work hard enough. Because clearly if your faith isn't working for you, then, then there's something wrong with you that you need to fix with God. We say that's already been fixed. And that any gift of faith that God gives to you is, is completely perfect for your salvation. There are others that say that that reading the Bible is nice because there are some really lovely things in there that it says about our life and about our God. We say, no, 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 it is not just that. It is the very means by which God takes you by the collar and drags you nearer and dearer to himself. There are people that that might tell you that, that if, if you want to actually have confidence in your salvation, then you have to look at the works that follow after them. And if they're not getting better, then you are in trouble because guess what? That means your faith isn't where it needs to be. Dear brothers and sisters, we teach that that your, your Savior took on flesh. He took on every temptation that you have. That he walked For you in this life, and now he walks with you in this life. Knowing that you are going to stumble, you are going to fall, and you are going to fail. And every single time, he is going to be there to pick you back up. Not to say, shame on you, your faith is dead, and so are you. But instead, to drag you once again closer to him. Certainty is not just at the heart of being a Lutheran. Certainty in your salvation with God is it's at the heart of Christianity. And that is why we see those solas brought forward by Martin Luther. Why he said, in, 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 by scripture alone, do we learn about our relationship with God? By grace alone, is that relationship made right? And by faith alone, do we receive the, the blessings and the benefits like that forgiveness? Because he looked around at this world and he said, there is plenty of uncertainty to go around. But uncertainty of faith, uncertainty of grace, and uncertainty of scripture, those just, those just have no place. No place in, our, in the church and no place in our lives. This sort of all kind of rubber meets the road moment for me uh, this last couple of weeks, I, I found that I have two fairly fairly close relatives that, that, that received a cancer diagnosis. Boom, boom. Just back to back. And all of a sudden, I think is not good enough. As you stare mortality in the face, as you stare loss in the face, as you stare eternity in the face, I think is just not going to do the job. But dear brothers and sisters, I know... I know that my Savior walked in my place for me. I know that he went to the cross for me. I know that he stood victoriously on the devil's throats when he burst forth from the tomb. I know that he did that for me. I know that he comes to me in his word and I know that his, his word is perfect, unchangeable, and everything I need to know about my relationship with him. I know that he has gone to prepare a place for me. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that where he is, there I will be and there will all of the other Christians who believe in him be as well at the end of this life. I think it's not good enough. But you can face anything when you know what your Savior has done for you. Amen.